Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here as we start our new sermon series called Follow. And I'm glad you chose to be here with us this Easter. And we were expecting you today. We knew we'd have more people than usual today. We knew that because Christmas and uh, Christmas Eve and Easter, of course, the busiest time of the year for church. It's the time you know you're supposed to be in church. And I assume most of you know why you're supposed to be on church on Easter. To make your grandma and your mama happy, right? You just get tired of them just pestering you and bothering you. Or maybe your friend kept inviting you and you said, fine, I'll come on Easter. That's just what we're supposed to do. But I would argue that today, in fact, is one of the hardest days to come to church. Especially when I lived back home with family. We had an Easter checklist each Easter Sunday. It looked like this, something like this. We all had to figure out whose church we were going to, whether it was grandma's church or mama's church. It was somebody's church. We actually all came together. We didn't go to the usual one. We had to go to church together as a family. And then you had to wear your best clothes. The ladies wore pastel colors. Some of y'all are still doing that today. The men usually get away with pink a little bit more or purple. Then you buy all of your kids these special outfits that they'll never wear again. And they're uncomfortable and they would never want to wear again. And then you try to dress up your sugared up kids before the service while mom is yelling about getting chocolate on the brand new Easter outfit, right? Try to pack all them in the clothes, I mean, in the car. You do all of this while trying to get to church on time. Then you take a family picture in front of the church or the cross just to show everybody you went on Easter because that's when you're supposed to go. And it's one of the two times a year your family actually dresses up. Then you go somewhere, try to have a big family dinner and not get on each other's nerves. Anybody else check look like that? Yeah, okay, we all have that. That was mine. And it's no wonder then you only come twice a year. It's no wonder I would only come twice a year too if I thought that's what you had to do for church. That's exhausting and tiring to even think about. But the truth is, for many of us, that's what the Christian faith seems to be all about. Just a bunch of rules and checklists you have to keep. A bunch of do's and don'ts. Growing up, that's what the faith was like for me. The church was completely irrelevant to my life. Everything they were talking about had nothing to do with what I was going through. And everybody had these rules that we had to follow. We had to dress up and dress a certain way. Even though it was horrible, nobody was comfortable, everybody was miserable, you still had to dress up like that anyways. You had to go to church and tell everybody, everything's fine. Even though your whole life's falling apart and you're miserable. You had to read a Bible you didn't understand. You had to sing music that you've never heard before in your life and somehow hope it would help you somehow connect with God, even though you don't understand the words or what's going on. For me, church and Christianity just seemed 
like a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, because evidently Jesus said, go to church, so we go. It's boring, and the guy up there talking, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I surely don't understand what he's saying. Jesus said, be nice, and then you're like, but have you met him? Jesus says, don't lie. Well, unless you don't want to hurt their feelings, and evidently in the South, it's okay to lie. Jesus said, don't look over there, right? Don't, don't look. Well, don't stare, right? Don't stare. That's what it is. But for many of us, religion is very similar to the game of Simon Says. Remember that game where it was your goal to get from one side of the room to the, excuse me, one side of the room to the other side of the room by um, cross the finish line by following the strict instructions laid out for you? And what happens if you didn't follow the instructions? You were out, right? You didn't get to play any longer. And when it comes to life, well, when you're out, that's when all the fun happens. So you don't mind sitting out of church. Let's be honest. You don't mind not going. You don't mind not playing that game. You don't mind not feeling bad and feeling the shame and feeling the great. Like when you're not in church, that's when you start to seemingly have fun. And then something tragic happens or that event happens. And you go to church and think, well, maybe, maybe it'll make God happy. Maybe I'll get that promotion I've been looking for. Maybe something will rub off on my kids because how they're acting at home, goodness, I need help. Maybe I'll get that next thing or maybe I'll get that house. We go to church, something that somehow will make the big guy happy, something magical will happen if we just go this week and then we play the game again. Well, Jesus says, read your Bible. Well, where do I start? Jesus says to pray, but what if I forgot this week? Does it still work? And that goes on and on and on. As if our faith, the Christian faith, is just a bunch of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. But you see, the driving force behind the Christian faith is not a list of rules and regulations, but it's a relationship with the living Savior. And it's so easy to lose sight of the relational nature of the Christian faith. And the tragedy is when we lose sight of this, we, when we start just pursuing a list of do's and don'ts or a list of rules and regulations, we lose our joy, our peace. We lose the victory found in Jesus Christ. When we lose sight of the relationship and, just become, and it just becomes a bunch of rules, it's a no wonder you don't come. It's a no wonder you run because it's so much easier to just get out of the game than to be stressed and feel shame and all the other stuff church can bring to our lives. And that's perhaps why so many of you have run from the faith. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic home where the rules were the most important thing, not a relationship, but you got to be the perfect Christian. And you figure if Jesus is anything like the church, well, I'm not interested in that. Or maybe for you, after high school, you got tired of playing that game that your parents drug you to, where you're going to go and pretend everything's all right. And so you just walked away from it all. Or maybe for you, once adulthood set in and real life started happening, you just realized, I don't have time to pretend any longer. I got real stuff happening. And faith, well, it doesn't seem to actually play any value in my life. And so you're just honest with yourself. You're honest with the church, and you just kind of walked away. 
But if you, if you have approached Christianity like a game of Simon says, I'm here to tell you it won't work. And I'm glad you've abandoned that type of faith. Because if you were to pick up one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you were to pick up one of those and read through it, you would see that our faith is extraordinary relational Jesus came to lay the groundwork for a brand new type of relationship. He changed the spiritual paradigm where he talks about how we relate to him, how we think about him, and how we approach him. And he gives us several word pictures on what this looks like. He talks about the father-the-child relationship, the vine and the branch, the shepherd and the sheep. And he gives us several different relational word pictures about this relationship. But the word he comes back to over and over and over again throughout the Gospels is the word we're going to camp out on for the next couple of weeks. It's this word right here. Follow. Follow. You see, Jesus extended an invitation to follow him to all sorts of people. Rich people. Poor people. Healthy people, unhealthy people, well-to-do people, people who had everything and everything, all the things together, just like the perfect family. He invited them, and then the messed up ones, the outcast ones, the ones that didn't have it all together, he invited them too. He said, follow me. He even extended this relationship to the people who were downright hated hated in their society. Look at this with me, Matthew 9, 9. He says this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, just to give you a heads up, Matthew's the guy who wrote this book, and tax collectors were despised in their day. Of course, none of us like paying taxes, Right? Yeah, nobody likes paying taxes, but back then it was far worse. You see, Rome, they were, of course, in charge. They had conquered the Jews, Israel. And so they would let the people who they conquered, he would let them continue to worship in their way. But, of course, they had to still pay taxes to Rome. And so what Rome would do, because they didn't know the locals, they would employ a local to, uh, to collect all the taxes from their own people. Because here's the deal. If you grew up in the community, you know who's rich and you know who's not rich. You know who's hiding money and who's not hiding money. So they would employ a local to collect money for them. So the tax collectors, right, were people who were of the people collecting money for their oppressors. They were considered traitors. They were considered people who were more concerned with Rome than their own people, even though the people they grew up with. And so they would grow rich at the expense of their own community. And of course, tax collectors could demand more than what was required to line their own pockets, and they'd have the entire Roman army to back them up. Now, you thought the IRS could give you problems. These guys could give you massive problems. They were thought of in their hometown as the lowest form of humanity. So we see Jesus walking along and calls this social outcast. 
the one that everyone would have hated. And he's not, listen, Matthew isn't privately doing these things where people don't know about it. Matthew is publicly doing these things, bringing shame on his entire family. As a traitor, Jesus sees him and he says this. Next slide. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. So he could have said so many different things to Matthew. He could have pointed out all his sins, all his faults, all the things he was doing wrong. Because church, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Seems that it is. But he doesn't. He could have told him he needed to clean up first, get his act together first, do the right things, go on a 12-step program first, but he didn't. And most people, I bet, could not believe Jesus would extend an invitation to this type of person. But Jesus simply says, follow me. Come on. Come follow me. I will identify myself with you, and you can identify yourself with me. Come be a part of my group. And it seems so strange, right, that Matthew would get up and follow him. We're like, who would do that? Who would leave their job, just quit everything, and go follow a man walking around? Well, see, remember, here's what's going on. Jesus was a rabbi. I think you know that. Jesus was a teacher of his day. And back then, all Jewish men would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They would learn that as the curriculum. They would, um, some say, almost memorize it or memorize it. Like, this is what they're trained in. They studied the Bible. And as they grew older, the rabbis would pick the cream of the crop to come be their disciples. So as you're going through school, you got a lot of, you know, they would have picked someone like me, someone who had it all together, just the cream of the crop in school. See, they're laughing because they know I did horrible in school, okay? That's the joke there. But they pick the cream of the crop and they say, hey, you guys, come follow me. You come after me. I'll be your rabbi. You be my teacher. I'll pass all my teachings to you. You can carry them on. So that's what they did back then. So Jesus is picking a guy, Matthew, right here, who's already at work. What this means was Matthew was passed over. Matthew wasn't smart enough. Matthew wasn't good enough. He wasn't good enough or smart enough to be picked by any other rabbi. So he's at work. And he's a traitor. And then Jesus comes through and says, follow me. See, this was the invitation Jesus extended over and over throughout the Gospels. And this is the most accurate word to understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to know Jesus. We have all sorts of different things we say, but the best way to think about it is simply, are you following Jesus? And it's not a game of Simon Says or a game of Jesus Says or do's and don'ts. And so what would it look like in your life if you simply asked the question, Am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus in this relationship? Am I following Jesus in, at work or with this person or whatever that looks like for you? What if we could put aside all of our, upbring, all of our upbringing, all of our knowledge, all of our traditions, and all the things we think that are supposed to be done and stripped it down to asking, 
Am I personally following Jesus? If that seems too simple for you, you have to know it seemed too simple for the religious folks back then as well. Look at verse 10. It says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So now Jesus goes from calling this man to now Matthew is throwing a party for him and invites all of his friends. The, who are his friends? The disreputable sinner. Sounds like some of your friends, doesn't it? Yeah, they're hanging out at his house. Jesus is eating with them. And the word sinners here is a Greek word, excuse me, a specialized Greek word to talk about just the most criminal, like scum type of people in their society. And what's Jesus doing? He's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. These are the type of people who were not a part of the religious system and they didn't want to be. They weren't interested in it. They weren't interested in playing the game. They weren't interested in pretending and thinking that they had it all together. They were like, hey, we're not like them and we're okay with it. And we're just going to hang out, hang out together. And so Jesus is with them. He's eating with them, which is the most intimate thing you can do back then with another person. They didn't have all the cleanliness stuff. They're just digging in with their hands and just eating together, throwing him a party. And evidently, Jesus was extremely comfortable with people who were nothing like him. And apparently, people who were nothing like him were extremely comfortable around him. But, look at verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? You see, the Pharisees were the religious folks, the ones who prided themselves in devotion and knowledge of God. They thought they were the spiritual elite, and others thought they were the spiritual elite. They thought they had it all together. Well, you ever met people who thought they were the spiritually kind of the guardians of the church or of a faith system? That was them. They made the rules. They told people what to do. And they wanted to know. They said, Jesus, they went to his disciples and said, why is he hanging out with that type of person? Why isn't he hanging out with us? We have the money. We have the boats. We have the nice clothes. We can afford the nice restaurants. Why isn't he hanging out with us? Why aren't we sitting in a corner smoking cigars talking about theology? Or not smoking cigars. Forgot, I'm in a Baptist church. Not smoking cigars. Thinking about theology. Like, why aren't we just sitting together in our holy huddle? Why is he hanging out with this type of people? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know what they do? But who are they asking? Are they asking Jesus? No, they're going to his disciples. They're scared of him. They're trying to cause division. They're trying to break people up. They're trying to get on the inside without actually talking to Jesus about it. So why is he doing all this? Verse 12, it says, when Jesus heard this, by the way, he evidently has some awesome hearing, right? Throughout the gospel, he hears all sorts of things, all right? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick People do. So Jesus is eating in Matthew's house with Matthew's friends. 
I don't know what he's eating or what he's doing in the moment, but evidently he puts it down and stops and goes, hey, sick people need a doctor, not healthy. And I imagine everybody in that room just said, are you calling us sick? Like, is that, is that what's happening in this moment, right? He's offending the people he's eating with, trying to talk to the other people. He's like, look, healthy people don't need, need me. He said, I didn't come for those who thought they had it all together. But those who know they don't have it all together. Verse 13, he says, now, go and learn what the, the meaning of this scripture. And this would have been extremely offensive to them. These are the people who or pride themselves in knowledge, right? They have the degrees. They know everything. It's their job to study the Old Testament, and Jesus is teaching them as a, treating them as a pupil. He says, hey, listen, why don't you go learn the Bible? Go study this scripture. And he's calling them out in front of everyone, and perhaps you need to be called out in front of everybody. And lean into what Jesus is saying here. He says, instead of spending your whole time following this religious systems, pay attention to what God actually said. The next part. He says, I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifice. He's quoting the book of Hosea, which they would have been familiar with. A book all about interpersonal relationships rather than religious ritual. God desires mercy from you and for me. And they are being anything but merciful. You see, God doesn't want you to just offer sacrifices. In other words, he doesn't want you just playing the religious game, the sacrificial game. Here's what I'm supposed to do. Here's what I'm not supposed to do. Here's what it means to be a good Christian. Here's what it means not to be a good Christian. Rather, he says, you need to look at how you're treating people and what your faith is leading you to. Jesus goes after the heart. He doesn't want you or me just to reenact religious traditions, just to show up at church because we're supposed to. But he wants to come after your heart and my heart. He wants to do real life transformation. He wants to take you somewhere and do something with you. Look at verse 13. He says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So if you know you're a sinner, you are in great company. Jesus can work with that. You think you have it all together and everybody else needs them, but you kind of need them, maybe, so you're not too sure, but you're pretty sure you got it together. Jesus like, I don't know what to do with that. Pride, I'm telling you, pride is horrible. He's saying, I've come for those who don't have it all together. And this does not mean that the righteous don't need help, but it's those who think they don't need help. Jesus can't work with that. Jesus is not going to work with that. But those who are sinners, he said, I've come to call. I'm calling you. I'm welcoming you. Come to me. And he's invited them into this intentional relationship. And if you call yourself a Christian, which I, I hope you do, you have to know it's not just about behaving the right ways or knowing the right things. It's not a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations. No matter where you're at, you're called to partner with your Savior, to have a relationship with Jesus. Because if we're not careful, we could find ourselves outside of the very room Jesus was in. We can find ourselves so proud and so arrogant that we miss what he wants to do in our lives. You see, the Pharisees said, change and you can join us. Next slide, please. 
Pharisees said, change and you can join us. But Jesus says, join us and you will change. Jesus invites misbehaviors, unbelievers to follow him. He invites, invites those who don't have it all together, those who don't know what they believe or if they believe everything. He invites those who are missing something, who knows they're not perfect. He invites those who've been mistreated. He invites those who've been hated. He invites those who've been wronged, who've been rejected, who failed. He invites anybody and everybody who understands they're not perfect. He says, come on. Come after me. And he's come to call those who are willing to answer the call. No matter what you've done or what you've been through or what you're currently doing in this life. He says, come after me. And so there's four things we learn about Jesus' invitation. Four things about following him. First up, we see that being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. So if you're like, hey, I've messed up too much, you're, in, you're welcome. Come on. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. The only people who had problems with Jesus are the ones who thought they had it all together. There is no sin, there is no habit, no addiction, no problem that puts you outside of his invitation. He says, come follow me. Number two, we see being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. None of Jesus' earliest follow, followers believed. You can just start following. You're like, hey, well, I don't know about that. That's okay. If you're like, well, I don't know about the beginning of the Bible. I don't know about the middle of the Bible. I'm not sure about some of this stuff. It's okay. You see throughout the Gospels that the disciples clearly didn't understand what was going on. They didn't believe everything from the bat. And, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, I know you struggle with this. You think everybody has to believe everything at first. That's not the process the disciples and apostles went through. They started following Jesus. And he started revealing things. And sometimes it takes time and you just got to work through all of that. And what we see at the end, Jesus, who predicted his own death and resurrection, right, predicted it and then pulled it off. After that, they went... Well, okay, I'm just going to believe then. I'm just going to go with this guy. If he can do that, I'm just going to go with everything else. But the best way to get your questions answered is by accepting the invitation and following Jesus. And we see that the invitation to follow is an invitation into a relationship. Next slide. Invitation into a relationship. You're not invited just to rules. You're not invited into just laws. You're not invited into a checklist that if you don't keep, you're out. There's this thing that we really believe, and it's called, it's called grace. And it's very important to us, and it's very important to Christianity, that we are saved through faith by his grace. By his grace. And so he invites you to get to know him. And this is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be accepted by God just how you are because of what Jesus has done. And it's about you accepting who he is and repenting, right? Turning from and following after him because you can't follow him and you at the same time. You're not Jesus. So following him is going that direction. And then four, this is the fun one. Following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. 
when I'm focused on me and I understand my shortcomings, I have less time to worry about what you're doing. Some of you are going to quote this to your mamas today at Easter dinner. I would not recommend this. I would not. I'm just letting you know I would not advise that. Just own it. Like, mom, do you pay attention today? That's what's there. But sometimes we are so focused on everybody else, what they're doing, what they're seeing, what they're watching, how they're behaving. Like, and if I'm looking at you, I don't have time to look at me. But if I'm looking at me and what's going on in my life, and I see my shortcomings, which may be very different than somebody else's shortcomings, but a shortcoming is a shortcoming and a sin is a sin. So if I identify that here's what I got going on, here's what I'm working through, gives me a lot more tolerance, a lot more empathy to help other people and work with them. But I tell you this, it makes you a lot less critical if you're looking at you. A lot less critical of other people. As long as I'm focused on where Jesus is leading me, I have less time to judge you. And so the question is, the one that we will have a conversation with for the next couple of weeks, is am I following Jesus? Not have you prayed a prayer one time at youth camp, but are you following Jesus? Not how long have I lasted in the religious game of Simon Says and made myself feel good and my parents feel good. No, no, no. Am I following Jesus? Am I actively engaged? Because the invitation you've been invited to, the invitation I've been invited to, is following after Jesus. Because Jesus is trying to take you somewhere. And we'll talk more about that next week. But I hope you join us over the next couple of weeks as we dive deeper into this relationship and what it means. And here's the thing. You can start following Jesus at any time. The invitation is an open invitation to follow after him, to learn from him, to learn what he is doing because we believe Jesus is alive and active. And he invites us to come after him. You see, Matthew, this old tax collector, he had no idea what Jesus had in store for him. He wouldn't have believed him. He had no idea that he was going to write an international bestseller that's influenced billions of people. He had no idea that 2,000 years later, people would still be talking about him. And you have no idea what God has in store for you. But you don't want to miss out. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to walk this earth, to give us an invitation to follow him. We thank you for the sacrifice that he did for our sins and the resurrection where he defeated death and rose from that grave. Lord, we thank you for the open invitation that we don't have to be perfect, we don't have to have it all together, that we can simply start following today. Father, I'm sure there are many people here today who struggle with what they believe, just like Jesus' disciples did. Father, I'm sure there are people here today who feel like they just messed up too much. They aren't worthy of following. Father, I'm sure there are some people today who are just so tempted to continue to do their own thing, their own way. And Lord, there's some that are on the verge of making a colossal mistake and ignoring this invitation today. Father, I pray that they would be receptive and you soften their hearts to accept that invitation to follow. Please give them the wisdom and have your spirit help draw them in
to investigating this relationship with you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.